Guys, now I want to talk to you about what I've been thinking about all of this week. We're going to continue in the second part of the series, God's Plan Reveal. Because many people I talk to have got this common question. How do I know what God wants me to do on earth? And last week we started with the mystery of history. You remember that? The mystery of history. And that is that God has a plan and he has a purpose for your life that goes all the way from Eden back there all the way to eternity. And last week we looked at, we, we put it this way, we put it as five acts, five acts that God has displayed through history. And what we said was this. I'm get my right place here. Act one. Can everybody remember what Act 1 was? Act 1 was God made it all. Second, what was the second act? Adam messed it up. Remember? Third act, Jesus came. So Jesus comes to make it right, what Adam blew up. And the fourth, fourth act was we have a choice. God gives us a choice. Are we going to accept Jesus Christ as God's son and the offer he made to us, or are we not? You have a choice, friend. And then finally, Act 5 we looked at last week is God's family goes on forever. It is the only thing that will go on forever. The universe will shut down, the galaxy will shut down, the earth will shut down, and God, the Bible clearly says, is going to create a brand new heaven and earth. Why is that? Well, God made you to last forever. And here is a very important point. God has very long-term plans for you. Not just like two of my friends who last week passed away. 72 years old, fit as a fiddle. And one other one, both funerals on Monday. God has, his body has died both of these guys, our bodies have died, but they, their spirit will live on. One day your heart will stop. But that will be the end of your body. It will not be the end of you. No, God made you to last forever. And he, why? Because he wants you to spend eternity with him. That's why he made you to last forever. Here on earth, we're lucky if we get 70, 80, maybe tops 100 years maximum. And that is very, very little considering the fact that we will live trillions and trillions and trillions of years. Earth will seem like an absolute sliver when we get there. So, seeing as I'm here for such a short time, surely God has some direction for what he wants me to do for the rest of my time on earth. What am I to do? And that's a mystery for many. The Bible says in the first verse on your outline, in Ephesians 1, God has let us know the mystery of his purpose according to his good pleasure, which he determined beforehand in Christ. In Christ. Have you ever thought, well, why doesn't just once, once I've become a Christian, why doesn't God just grab me and take me straight to heaven? Then there's no backsliding, there's no getting lukewarm, there's no equivocating. Why doesn't he do that? Why does he actually leave us here for 60, 80, 100 years and then take us to heaven? Why does he take, or doesn't he take us straight away? Because here's the reason. You wouldn't have a choice in heaven. The moment you got there, you know, I've never heard of an NDE, near-death experience, when a person 
supposedly went to heaven and said, oh, I don't want this. But no, nobody wants to come back. Interesting, isn't it? When you're in heaven and you behold the glory of God, you would have to be totally insane to reject that because that is the ultimate reality. And heaven is perfect. And then you wouldn't even have a choice because it would be so overwhelming. You'd be, it, God never coerces people. He gives you a choice. He, he hints enough to give you the clue that he's there. So God allows us a choice, and the Bible says that we are here on earth for three reasons. Number one reason is life here on earth is a temporary assignment between Eden and eternity. It is a temporary assignment. Never forget that. Young people, when I was your age, Simon, I used to think the Christmas holidays last forever. And so did all of you, remember? Man, it was a long holiday. Now years seem to be out seven months to me long, that's all. It gets faster as you get older. So, look at the Bible. It says here, this world for this world is what? Not our permanent home. You are batching it here. This is a temporary place. We are aliens in this place. This is not our permanent home. We are but, we are looking forward to what? Our everlasting home in heaven. This is but a blip. You may want to circle some of these words so they become real to you in your own hearts. And that's great because as we saw last week, this world has been corrupted. You just saw tangible evidence in one form of corruption in this world. Nothing works perfectly on this planet. I don't know whether you check that. Your body doesn't work perfectly. The economy doesn't work perfectly. The weather doesn't work perfectly. And it's a jolly good thing we don't have to spend eternity on something that's broken. If you're like living with a car that was unreliable, it'd drive you nuts forever and you could never do anything about it. Sin and sorrow and sickness and sadness. Who would want to live with that for eternity? That's not heaven, that's earth. Second, life on earth is a test of how much God can trust you and me. It is a test. And the way I live my life tests a couple of things. Number one, who and what I am going to live for. You see, this tells a story, friends. Who and what I live for. Who and what I'm going to love in this life is a test. And what am I going to do with what God gives me? Not my neighbor, not my husband, not my kid, me. This is the first test of salvation. One day, you're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, what did you do with my, my son, Jesus Christ? And by the way, if you didn't need a Savior, I would never, ever have sent him. You need him. It's the only solution. And the only way you're going to get to heaven is God sent his son to die for you. And then after you dealt with that one, if you pass that one, listen up, Christian. If you're not a Christian, you need to listen to that first one and try and grapple with that as we go along today. Second, if you are a Christian here today or you call yourself a Christian, if you do, the second question that's going to come up straight away, and you can see this all the way through Scripture, doesn't matter whether Old Testament or New Testament, that he's going to ask you the stewardship question. And he's just going to say this. Ian, 
How did you manage what I put in your hand? You see, the Bible tells us that everything that you have and I have is a gift from God. Everything. The opportunities you have, the training you have, the position you have, the health you have, the mind you have. It is all a gift. Your connections are all a gift from God. And you just get to use it for this little parenthesis called life on earth. And you can amass a whole bunch of money. But can I tell you this as plainly as I possibly can? You're going to give the whole lot to somebody else who has not earned it. There you go, I've said it. The whole lot. To somebody else who's never even earned it. And you know what? This may be shocking to you, and some of them will not appreciate it. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. So either you do something with it, and no decision is a decision, by the way. Here's the other point. My mum, bless her heart, knows this well. You don't take a cracker with you. This beautiful house that we've just refurbished is probably going to get completely bowled by some developer. It's all gone. It's gone. It's all gone back in the box. God says this, friends, family, remember, all of it is his, really his. And what you, the question is, what are you doing with what you've been lent to manage for a few years? And this is why this is important. Because God says that your role in heaven, your responsibilities in heaven, your, we don't hear about this much, your rewards in heaven will be directly correlated and determined by your faithfulness in what you did with what he gave you. That's it. And that doesn't matter whether you've got a few crackers, like my mum, or whether you've got multi-millions in a multiple you know, real estate portfolio. It doesn't matter. The question is, what did you do with what I gave you? <coughs> but what you do after you get to heaven is definitely determined by your faithfulness here on earth. And Jesus told many, many, many parables to underscore that point, to teach this truth, so we could never say, well, I didn't know that. Well, I missed that somehow. One of them finishes with this very clear, salient point in Luke 16. If, this is a choice. You have this choice, I have this choice. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth. That's an F, your choice. Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? My point is, friends, may the Holy Spirit illuminate to you that God watches how we manage his, our time, our treasure, and our talents. God watches. He's interested. He knows the lot He's watching. This is a test. Number three, life on earth is preparation for eternity. I haven't written that in your outline, but you may want to just write that down. Life on earth is preparation for eternity. You prepare for exam, right? This is a preparation for eternity. And God will use people. He'll use problems and porcupines in your life, often difficult people. And situations, even suffering, which is momentary compared to, of course, eternity, to prepare you for eternity. 
Look at this. 2 Thessalonians 1, we find this principle. God is using your suffering to make you ready for his kingdom. And here's the shocking truth. Sometimes I find people that are suffering. And it doesn't have to be suffering like this. It could be suffering through sickness or death or disease or divorce or depression. So if, it, if, if this is a test, and this is preparation for eternity, and this is a temporary assignment, God wants you to practice on earth what you're going to do in heaven forever. So what am I supposed to do whilst I'm here for this short time on my earthly assignment given to me by God? What is my assignment? Number one, God, if you get nothing else done, you need to get this done. God wants you to love him. You were made in God's image. There's a reason for that. A likeness. You have a choice to love God. And Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the what? The first and the greatest. So if we get everything else, uh, if we don't get this right, we've blown it. This is numero uno. Is that clear? Get it? Good. Right, let's move. He says, nothing in life matters more than this. Your career does not matter more than this. If you don't get it, you miss it. It's the most important thing that you love with your heart. Now, Many of you in this room are married, and some of you aren't married. But nevertheless, you get this point. To love, there has to be some passion. Otherwise, it's like loving a lamppost. Right? Mm. Or a robot, you know. A robot can say this, I love you. What does that mean? There's going to be some passion in your love for God. Love me with your heart, not just with your lips. That's what he's getting at here. So he says, loving with your heart is passion. Loving with your soul, I want to suggest to you, is with your will. God, it's not my will, but your will that needs to be done. And then loving him with your mind, that is thoughtfully. Thoughtfully. The Bible says this in Hosea 6, 6, not in your outline, but on the screen. I don't want your sacrifices don't get hung up on those, he says. I do want your love. I don't want your offerings. Don't tell me, uh, you know, it's like going to your wife and saying, I've got a gift for you here. Or, oh, is it really your birthday? Do, really, do, do you really need a present for me, honey? He wants a willing heart. But what I do want is I want you to know me. She says, don't get caught up on all these rules here, but I do want your love and I want you to know me. See, it's a relational, not religious. Can you hear the passion in that word? I want you to know me. I want you to love me. That's what he's saying. Now, the most important thing you can do in your life is to love God and to know God. That's how I deduce from that. So each day, tomorrow even, if you don't get anything checked off your to-do list, if you love God some more, that day has been a good day. 
But conversely, if you get every single solitary thing done off your to-do list and you haven't loved God more, that day was a complete waste because you didn't attach your activity to your number one goal and objective. God did not put you on earth to just mark things off your to-do list because I found those stinking to-do lists get eternally longer. I don't make yours. I just get them done and there's a whole bunch more things on there. Have you found that too? And a new project. I just get one room decorated and then there's something else to do. Huh? So it doesn't matter how many achievements I happen to cleverly use my limited amount of time, limited amount of energy, and limited amount of resources to do, if I don't pull off the first purpose of my life, I wasted that day. Get it? Good. The Bible makes it clear that when we miss that, it's a big mistake. Notice this next verse, which is not in your outline, but on the screen. Some of these people have missed the most important thing in life. Most important is a very big couple of words there. They don't know God. Or they may know about him, kind of heard about him, but they don't know him in a personal way. Let me say this another way, friends. God did not put you on this earth, this may shock some of you, to build your career. As much as I'm a business guy. Why? Because I am not taking my career to heaven, and either are you. It is a means to an end. You will take your relationship to God to heaven, and that's why it's primary. See, some of you spend an inordinate amount of time planning great business plans. But you have no consideration, and you haven't planned your life to develop with God. You haven't given the same. I used to, it used to drive me nuts. I used to say, I spend weeks a month planning my business or the business I'm managing. But how much time do I really spend planning out my life with God and saying, God, how can I use this life, my time, talent, treasure, moving forward for your kingdom? Notice this Ephesians 1 on your outline. Long before he, this is God, laid down earth's foundations, before any of this was here, before the universe was even here, God had us in mind. And he settled on us as, here it is, the focus of his love. We were the reason he created everything. This is the mystery of salvation. It was originated in the timeless mind of God long before we existed. And it's hard to understand how God could accept us because of Jesus Christ, though. We are holy and blameless. And God now looks at us as if we've never sinned. All we can do is express our love and our thoughts for his wonderful love, and we can love him by finding our delight. Listen to what I said there. Our delight not in getting a chance to go to the movies, our delight not in escaping to a book, our delight not in adding more to our investment portfolio, our delight in Him. We get our enjoyment in Him, our pleasure in Him. If other things give you more pleasure than God, my question is, which is the God? All we can do is worship Him. The Bible uses a word called worship for loving God, and it is the first purpose of your life. 
Worship means expressing your love to God in word and in deed. Some Christians have tended to, uh, they've overemphasized something that John Calvin never said. We need word and deed, hand in hand. See, the church is supposed to be, and Christians are supposed to be the, the mouth of Jesus, but we're also supposed to be the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. We forget, and sometimes we're all mouth and no action. Number two, God says that not only do you all want you to love me, but God wants me to learn to love others. Love others. This is a second and equally important commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what these people right now, living action, are doing in Syria and in Lebanon. They're loving their neighbors themselves. No other commandment is greater than these. So the Bible tells us that God wants us to learn to love him and love other people because primarily God is love. And life is about love. Friends, men, listen to me carefully here. It's very easy to be distracted on this one. Life is not about achievements, primarily about achievements and accomplishments. You can achieve everything you want. And boy, I've seen some people achieve some in the world standards, a lot of things. But they've lost their families, their daughters, their sons, and they give it all away right now to get all that back again. Don't chase the wrong thing. Life is about primarily in a relationship learning to be unselfish. This came back to me about two months ago. In my office, rightly or wrongly, give me some grace here, you guys, I used to have all of my achievements. Par club achiever, that means you, 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 you know, there's Martin, don't you? It's, you, you did 120% of your sales target for the company. All of these ones, achievement, 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 blah, 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 blah. And you know what I did the other day? I took them all to the tip, the whole lot. My previous crowns are trash. They mean nothing. And they'll mean nothing in heaven either. They're just temporary. Things that this world affixes value to, which are fleeting. Those accomplishments will not go with me to heaven, but I will be taking my character. The Bible encourages there, love your spiritual family. Why? Because you can spend eternity with them. Here's a fact, friends. Your physical family will not last. People grow up. They move away. That can be very painful. We're now just moving into the emptiness syndrome. That's a big change when that happens. They move away. They die this week. Two more. Excuse me, last week. They divorce. Physical families don't last, but the spiritual family is going to last forever and ever. And God therefore says, I want you to love that spiritual family because that's only who's going to be in heaven. If you have a problem with that, you're going to have a big problem with heaven. And that's a tough one because that's like saying to me, you know, I love Jesus, but not so sure of the church. And that's like saying to me, well, I, I like you, Ian, but I'm not so sure of my wife. That's a big problem for me. And it's a big problem for Jesus. Friends, if you're a Christian today, never ever get caught in pulling down his body. Sure, she may have blemishes in places, but when she's fully functioning, she's the hope of the world. Among other things, God's family is going to provide you spiritual encouragement, teaching, protection, prayer support, a small group to grow. And no matter what, God wants you in a church family because that's only who's going to go to heaven. Number three, the third reason God leaves you here on this earth and applies to your life is God wants you to become more like Jesus. He wants me to grow spiritually. 
And Jesus Christ is a model. Look at this, Philippians 2.5, very clear. In your life, your life, my life, you must think, notice two things, think and act like Jesus. There never has been a plan B. It's been God's plan from the very beginning. This is really clear. What's God's plan for my life? We're talking about it right now. Here it is. From the very beginning, God decided that those who come to him, those who would join his family, would choose, uh, those who would choose to love him, and all along he knew those who would, that they should become like his son. God wants you to grow to be more like his son. See, when God first created Adam, he said, let us, notice that, the plural, that's the trinity there, make man in our own image. He wanted Adam to become like Jesus, to think like him, to act like him, to love and serve like him, to sacrifice like him, to be generous like him. And God wants you to be like his son Jesus. Follow me on this. If God is going to make you like Jesus, he's going to take you through everything that Jesus went through. Were there times when Jesus was frustrated? Was there? Absolutely there was. How about were there times when Jesus was criticized? Yeah. Were there times when Jesus was betrayed? Yeah. Stabbed in the back? Yep. Tempted. Was Jesus ever tempted? Yep. What was the chapter? Matthew 4 4, right? He was tempted. Was Jesus ever misunderstood? Even by those who knew him? Yes. Did Jesus ever experience pain and disappointment? Yes. Did he ever want, was he ever, can you think of one instance when Jesus was tempted to give up in his human nature? Absolutely. When you understand that God is going to make you like Jesus, he's going to use trials and suffering. And when you know that, it will change your attitude to it. You will stop asking, why is this happening to me? Why me? Why now? Why this? And you'll start asking, what do you want me to learn through the circumstance? How does God make you like Jesus? Well, he uses truth. To teachers. He uses trouble to teachers and trials and temptations and testy people and circumstances and situations. He uses the word of God and a big one is difficult circumstances when you and I feel the pressure because God wants to build your character. Let me set this really clear. Life is not about making your life comfortable. It's about building your character. Don't expect heaven right now. Some people have got a false idea that this is heaven. Remember, this place is broken. It's not going to be comfortable. Some of you have had a comfortable life most of your life. That is not the universal experience. And I haven't met anybody, actually, in the long run, who never is affected by the fall of man and the sin in this world. This stage here is the character-building stage. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more like Him. What is Jesus like? If you were to describe Jesus' character, how would you describe it? 
perhaps you'd say he was loving and joyful and peace and he had patience and he was good and he was kind and he was gentle. There are nine things here called the fruit of the Spirit. Where are they found? Galatians 1, 5.22. That is something, if you want to know what God is moving you towards, a template, the gold standard, look at Galatians 5.22. How does God teach you? I don't know about you. How does he teach you joy? In the middle of difficulty and grief and angst, that's how he teaches you. Not whilst you're at Disneyland, which lasts for two nanoseconds, if you get off the right alive. <laughs> how does he teach you peace? It's in the middle of chaos and unrest and angst. Folks, I've realized it's very easy to have peace when I'm sitting in the middle of the Harriki Gulf fishing for snapper. Very easy. It doesn't take any special skill. But God is more interested in your character and your comfort. And there's a word for this in the Bible, and it's called discipleship. Discipleship is the process of becoming more like Christ. It's not just stuffing your head, because, man, I know a lot of people whose head's stuffed with good knowledge, but it never comes out and works. Some of those people can quote you every verse that you can almost poke a stick at, but the most, the most veritable storehouses of knowledge, but they're cantankerous and stroppy and angry and critical. That doesn't match up with the fruit of the Spirit, which you'll find again in where? Galatians 5.22. God is much more interested in your character because that's what's going to heaven. Now at New Hope, we have classes to help you with that. We have class 101 and 201 and 301 and 401. We have foundations classes. And my goal for you is that when you get to that day when you're ready to die, and you stand before God, you'll be at maximum spiritual maturity, strong in him, not weak and feeble. There's a fourth purpose that God put you on earth to do. And this is one that is getting increasingly attacked. God wants me to serve him. God wants me to serve him. See, God has uniquely shaped you with a particular gifts and abilities and heart and personality. And in class three, when we look at that, this helps you understand what God wants you to do. Here's another way of looking at this. Whatever you are good at, use it for the glory of God. Whatever it is. And that becomes your service to God. Somebody could say, well, how can I serve God when I can't even see him? Whenever you do something in Jesus' name, it's called ministry. You can even give a cup of cold water to a little child, but if you do it in Jesus' name, it counts. He notices everything. God counts everything you do when you serve others in Jesus' name. The Bible says here in Ephesians 2.10, God made us what we are. Now, don't try to be somebody else, because I haven't got the same skills as Stefan. He made us what we are. Or Desmond. Mm -hmm. He's got a very good cooking skill. Don't try to be somebody else if you're not. God didn't make you to do what other people, uh, to be what other people are. He made you what he wants you to be. And what do you want you to be? In Christ, the Bible says, God made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. Question, how's that score going? 
on the good works that he planned? Or have we gotten distracted? Now, this verse clearly states that before God even created the planet, he already decided in advance the contribution he wanted you to make whilst you are on this brief character building phase on earth. Those are your good works. Now, there's a word for that, and this word is the fourth purpose, which is called ministry. Ministry is serving God. Now, if you're a Christian, you are a minister. You may not be a pastor, but everybody is a minister. A minister, if you look at the word, actually means a servant. That's what minister means. So we're all called to be servants. That's the same word. And ministry and service are exactly the same word in the scriptures. So wherever you take whatever you're good at and you use it to help other people, and you're doing it in God's name, that is ministry. So what I'm saying is everything you do can be service to God. How? Well, it's all in your attitude. Notice this verse. Colossians 3. Whatever you do, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're a spray painter, whether you're a builder, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an accountant, a doctor, nurse, doesn't matter, student, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. There's some intensity. There's some passion there. And that's, by the way, inside the church and outside the church. It's everywhere. As working for the Lord. Not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. So everything you do, even if you're doing accounts, can become a ministry if you do this with the attitude of gratitude. You do it with the Lord, I'm not doing it for my boss, I'm doing this for you. You can make a bid. You can make a bid as if it was Jesus' bid. And I want to suggest to you that if more Christian employees serve their employers with a genuine concern as though they were serving God, quality and productivity would skyrocket. Because I know many people who roll up for work and the first thing they do is pull up Facebook. They pull out their phone and start texting through the days. Constantly. But if you were working for Jesus, would you do that? You have to answer the question. I have to answer the question. But it's a practical application of this. God is saying that the menial, seemingly menial tasks of life can be turned into an act of ministry, even an act of worship, if you have the right attitude. So Jesus, let me say this carefully, wants us to choose to reserve the time and energy to serve him rather than stubbornly pursue our own self-centered determination and to be in charge and lead the life of sin and self-satisfaction that the world pursues. He wants us to stop spending all of our energy seeking worldly positions and positions and power and prestige, which is ultimately utterly worthless. That's what the scriptures say. Instead, he wants us to remember that whatever you have on earth is only temporary. It cannot be exchanged 
for your soul. And I'm paraphrasing what Jesus said there. Let God's spirit, not the world's spirit, direct us. Because notice this next verse, very pertinent. If you insist, can you hear the choice being offered here? If you insist doing it your way, on saving what you think is saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw their lives away for my sake and for the sake of the good news. Notice how those two are tied together. Will ever know what it really means to live. I'm not putting brackets, it's not in the scriptures, but I want to suggest this to you. Will know what it really means to live according to my will. Close bracket. God says, I want you to serve me by serving others. And lastly, and very quickly, God wants me to tell others about him. This is the fifth purpose of your mission and life on earth. God actually says, this is your mission. Graham Hyam, this is your mission. God says this to you. Look, he says this. Jesus is speaking. Let me give you the context. In the same way that you, God, gave me, Jesus, a mission in the world, I give them, my followers, my family, a mission in the world. This is a task from heaven. What is a mission? What is that mission? It's to always be on the lookout for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. This week, I had an opportunity to share it three times. One with a guy. And by the way, it doesn't mean to say that they put their hands and say, Jesus, I, you know, I want you to be my Lord of my life. One guy got down to the fact that he said this to me. I said, if Christianity was true, I was asking him a question, I always ask this, this will help you cut out the time wasters. If Christianity was true, would you become a Christian? And this guy said to me, no, I'm my own God. Flat out. I'm going, are you insane? I didn't quite say that to him, I'm thinking that, all right? <laughs> but that gave me enough signal. So we argued and arm wrestled around for another five, ten minutes. I left a pebble in his shoe, which is what you need to try and do. Don't try and get him over the line. You need to leave a pebble in his shoe. And let that take care of it. But it was just one of them. My question, here's a good. If this is our mission, it will be very interesting right now, and this is meant to seem like an x-ray, because this is what God sees. If you were to just say, God, how many times have I had a spiritual conversation or something that's starting to move towards you this last week? Was it none? If that's none, how am I going on my mission? If I had maybe one conversation, you should give yourself a tick. You're at least front of mind on what mission is. This is my mission. In the same way that you, God, gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. What is it? Here it is. And by the way, the Bible says in Colossians 4, make the most of your chances to tell others the good news. Sometimes you've got to be ready with an open heart. Why does God want you to make the most of it? Because it's the most valuable thing that you could possibly share, not the sailing score. That's important. You might use that to get to start it. But that's not the sole topic of your conversation. Or the rugby and the Lions score. Good, good entry, good segue. But it can't stop there if our mission is to share. So here's my question. Are you making the most of every opportunity, as that scripture says, to tell others of the good news? Here's one with a very convicting 
twist to it. Is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? That comes down to the practical next step is this week. How many people will you have a spiritual conversation with? It doesn't have to be way up there, but starting the conversation with an intention to moving in that direction. See, the Greek word for good news is the word evangel. And guess what word we get from that? Evangelism. Evangelism is good news. It's not bad news. See, they said, I was glad when they said, come to the house of the Lord. Not I was sad or I was mad. I was glad. The gospel is good news. What is the good news? The good news is that you are not an accident. That you are made to last forever. This is just a blip. And God made you to love you and he wants you in his family. Jesus Christ died for all of your sins. So that you don't have to die. And he's forgiven those sins if, and it's a big if, you'll accept your forgiveness. Uh, his forgiveness. That guy I spoke to this week said, I am good enough. That was his approach. But we got down to this. The good news is you can have your past forgiven. You can have a purpose for living. I've just given you five of them straight from the scripture. And you can have a home in heaven. And these are the five reasons. The good news is the best news in the world. The Bible says in the final verse, Through Christ, God has made peace between us and himself. He gave us the work of telling everyone. Is that the people at your work? Yes about the peace that we can have with him. So we have been sent to speak for Christ. Yes, you should act like a Christian, but there's times when you're going to have to speak for him as well. So these are the five purposes he put you here on earth for. During these 80 to 100 years, God willing, there's a whole lot of freedom. And you know what? Sometimes God is not so fussed about what job you do or even where you live. But he says... I do want you to get these five things down. I want you to learn to love me. That's worship. Love others practically, authentically, and sacrificially. Be part of a family. Get involved. That's called fellowship. Grow up and become more spiritually mature like Jesus. That's discipleship. Practice serving other people. That'll be your ministry. And whilst you're at it, I want you to pass this message on to everybody else. That's called evangelism. Because I want all the people I've created to be in my house and to know me and to know what Jesus has done. Why should I do these things? Because I have brought you glory by the way he lived on earth and by completing the work you gave me to do. If you do that, you will give glory to God. And like Jesus said, when we do what God has planned for us, we do bring glory to God. It may not be flashy. What the disciples did was not flashy. It may not be successful in the world's view, but it glorified God. Excuse me, last verse now. This world is fading away, along with everything that it craves. What does the world crave? Popularity and possessions and property. Pleasure, status, success, and sex. Avarice and achievement and appearance, but the world is fading away along with everything else it craves, everything else. But if you do the will of God, you will live forever. Friends, you're either going to live for the here and now, or you're going to live your life in the light of eternity. One path leads to fulfillment, the other one leads to disappointment 
and death and emptiness. That's it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. As I just pray, you might find yourself saying, me too, Lord. And I'd encourage you to do that in your mind. Would you say, dear Jesus, I've wasted so much time chasing after unrealistic expectations created by myself, by my parents, by my friends, by the culture around me, and TV and movies, and on and on. And I'm sorry for that. Father, I don't want to waste one more minute of my life on something that isn't going to last. And you made me the way you wanted me. You made me to love me just as I am. So would you forgive me for all the worrying and the stressing about the approval of others and the opinions and, and, and my popularity with friends? Would you forgive me for that? I want to live the rest of my life for your pleasure, Lord. To learn to love you passionately. To learn to love others with real love. And Father, I want my life to bring real glory to you. To bring a smile to your face. To grow spiritually in the fellowship of your family, the church. And to fulfill each of these five purposes that you put me on earth to practice. Jesus Christ, I want to serve you in everything that I do. And this week, I pray for the opportunity to share the good news of your love and your forgiveness and your plan for our lives with others. Thank you for dying for me. I want to be your follower forever. And I ask you to accept me into your family in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody said... Amen.